You are about to hear a Watson and Doyle adventure. If you like it, check out their first full-length adventure, The Brooklyn North Murder by Erica Obey, now available online and in bookstores everywhere. Welcome to Mysteries to Die For. I am T.G. Wolf, and I'm here with Jack, my piano player and producer. This is a podcast where we combine storytelling with original music to put you in the heart of a mystery. Some episodes are original stories, and others will be classics that help shape the mystery genre we know today. All are structured to challenge you to beat the detective to the solution. These are arrangements, which means instead of word-for-word readings, you get a performance that's meant to be heard. Jack and I perform these live, front to back, no bakes, no breaks, no fakes, no retakes, no matter how tongue-tied I get, but we do occasionally edit out a barking dog. Support our show by subscribing, telling a mystery lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. And mystery readers, check out our print and ebooks. The companion book released just last week and it is available through the end of the season at 20% off. It's available both in ebook and in trade paperback. This is season five, Move It or Lose It. This season contains original stories paying homage to the vehicles that propel mysteries forward. A train was the setting for Agatha Christie's famed Murder on the Orient Express. A riverboat then took center stage on Death on the Nile. Cars have been prominently featured in American crime stories with the glory of the getaway vehicle. Then there are the heists from carriages to trains to armored trucks. For episode seven, an old school locomotive is the featured vehicle. This is Dead Man Switch by Erica Obey. All right, everybody, I'm a little bit nervous on how this is going to go, seeing as, uh, let's see, between Jack and I, I think we've had <laughs> 10 miscues just reading the introduction. <laughs> He's just smiling. He's got this covered. The Mystery of the Blue Train. There were plenty of perks to being the lone tech whiz at a small college in sleepy Hudson Valley town being rousted out of bed at the crack of dawn by a security alert on my cell phone was not one of them. Crack of dawn is, of course, a relative term. I am not a morning person. In fact, not a morning person doesn't begin to cover it. I am the sort of person who puts her coffee maker on an automatic timer so the coffee will be ready the moment I grope for it. Unfortunately, the timer was set for an hour much later than the current ungodly one. So I'm still half asleep when I stumbled out of my faculty apartment, wincing against the clamor of the fire department alarm, which had suddenly joined in the fun. Mac Byrne, the college security chief, was already there when I finally reached the DeSales College Computer Resource Center. A former Army intelligence operative, he had probably completed a quick 10-mile run and an icy swim in the Hudson before the alarm had erupted his 500 crunches. He was not the kind of man you expected to find in a standoff with a bunny. The bunny was armed with nothing but big brown eyes and long twitching ears, but it clearly had the upper hand. It had apparently found its way into the resource center via an open window and was now hopping from keyboard to keyboard in a panic, setting off system alerts with every thrust. Mac Byrne was standing stock still, trying not to panic it any further. That you, Watson? He asked. You didn't happen to bring along a spare carrot, did you? What's the matter, I asked. Didn't they teach you how to catch one of those and skin it with your bare hands in commander school? Only Tasmanian devils, he said. The other rodents weren't considered an active threat. I glanced at him for any telltale twitch of the mouth. His face was granite. That was the problem with Mac Byrne. You never knew when he was joking. I thought the Tasmanian devil was a marsupial. The granite cracked. You got me there, Byrne said with a grin. Whip fast, he caught the bunny mid-leap, grabbed the nape of its neck and its flailing hind legs in one fluid motion 
then returned to the open window. He paused to tickle the bunny's ears, then set it out on the windowsill where it could jump safely into the begonia bed it had clearly been ravaging before it had decided to explore. Buy you a cup of coffee? Burn asked, after I had rebooted the computers and texted to the fire department to give them the all clear. Black, no sugar, right? Is anything open at this hour? I asked. Another grin. Only about half the places in Greater Morgansburg. This town was built on stern colonial stock. It's only you academic types that never had to get up at daybreak to gather the eggs for the menfolk's breakfast, then water the horses and deliver a baby. In any case, there's a food truck over by the fun rail. We have a food truck in Morgansburg now? I sighed. Where are we, Brooklyn? I honestly shouldn't have been surprised. Gentrification was the new normal in the Hudson Valley, and such hipster experiences as glamping and goat yoga lurked around every corner in our quiet town. Do they have tofu breakfast burritos and Seton waffles, Burn allowed? But they also make a mean bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. The fun rail had once been a faded tourist attraction that juggled a meager assortment of props and costumes for seasonally themed circuits around the perimeter of Morgansburg. The ears of the Easter Bunny suits were removable so it could do double duty as a polar bear on the Santa Claus Express. The stuffed mount for the headless horseman who haunted the fall foliage tour was transformed into a unicorn for Valentine's Day love engine. Now, the fun rail has been sleekly refurbished as the blue train, and a video kiosk advertised glamorous shots of flappers and playboys drinking martinis and smoking cigarettes in long holders. Mrs. Claus's tea shop was still undergoing its transformation into the station tasting room, but casual dining was available at the chrome food truck with the retro neon sign that simply read, Eats. The smell of frying bacon allowed me to forgive the avocado toast that was on the menu. Alas, I was never destined to taste either. Before I could order as much as black coffee, the blue train flared to life with a whistle and a shriek. The wheels began to turn. The steam engine chugged. A plume of smoke rose into the air and the, great, and the train gathered speed along the track. Burn tensed. Does this guy know what he's doing? The train slammed to a halt as abruptly as it had started, and the air exploded with a bang. Was, was that a gunshot? I got no answer to my question. Burn had already taken off as quickly as he had captured the unwitting bunny. I followed at a pace that created no danger of him inviting me to join him and his early morning running partner. By the time I caught up with them, he had already tried to open the driver's cab door and found it jammed shut. He circled back to the main car, now ostentatiously labeled first-class carriage, even though it was in fact the only one hitched to the engine. Campus security, is everyone okay in there? Byrne shouted as he flung the door open. An outsized furry head flopped out, followed by the body of the man wearing it. I gasped, is that the Easter Bunny? Byrne knelt only briefly to examine the body before he shook his head. He's gone, looks like he caught a bullet straight between the ears. The Railway Detective Byrne is the town justice as well as the campus security chief, so I let him do the talking when the state troopers arrived. There's something about lady professors with a sideline and writing murder mysteries that brings out the worst in cops. Byrne, on the other hand, sounded about as exasperated by what he was reporting as the cops were, brothers under the skin and all that. Byrne began his statement warily. Looks like our dead man was wearing the rabbit head is one Reggie Stiles, the developer behind the rebranding of the train and the station bar. He was shot at point blank range right between the ears of the stuffed rabbit head. There doesn't seem to be much room for doubt of any of that. I found the gun inside the railway carriage. The barrel was still hot from being fired. Suicide then, the trooper asked, with the air of a man who knew the answer wasn't gonna be that easy. Logically, it would have to be. There was no one else inside the car, Burns said. 
not to mention the fact that the door to the engineer's cab was jammed and the only other door on the train was the one the Easter Bunny, I mean the victim, fell out of. And I had that in full view the entire time. For the same reason, no one could have jumped off the train while it was moving. Dr. Watson and I both witnessed the whole thing from the time the train took off until the time it slammed to a halt and neither of us saw anyone leave the train. But, the trooper prompted with obvious reluctance. Three things, Byrne said, holding up his fingers to enumerate. Why do I know I don't want to hear this, the trooper sighed. First, Byrne said, I found the gun on the opposite end of the car, where it had fallen on the floor beneath an attache case that was filled with papers that were all stamped top secret. Second, even if Reggie Stiles had managed to toss the gun across the carriage after he killed himself, the bullet entered his head from behind, from a nearly impossible angle given the costume he was wearing. Byrne paused. And the third, the trooper prompted. The garters, Byrne said. Garters? the trooper asked, as in more than one. Byrne nodded, enough to outfit an entire line of rockets strewn all over the engineer's cab. A long pause before the trooper ventured, any chance to use those garters to rig the gun to fire? I don't see how, Byrne said, given that the gun was in the other car, but it at least makes more sense than a mysterious assassin with the taste for cheap lingerie, who knows how to vanish into midair. The trooper glanced along the tracks. Could someone have fired another gun from outside the train and planted that pistol to suggest suicide? Well, if you can figure out how someone fired a bullet through a closed window without leaving a mark, sure, Byrne told him. While the trooper applied himself to the thorny issue, my phone began to buzz. If I could be so bold, Doyle's voice rang in my earbud. The proprietress of the Deadly Diner Theater website has sent me some footage that might shed some light on the matter. Okay, a word of explanation. Doyle is an AI program that I trained to write murder mysteries for my doctoral dissertation in library science. Don't ask why unless you want to listen to an eye-glazing lecture on postmodern aesthetics and the learning machine. Trust me, you don't. Doyle is also the reason Morgansburg, New York is poised to become the Hudson Valley's answer to Silicon Valley, as well as the reason that I am the star faculty member of DeSales College. After a decade of laboring in the adjunct salt mines, why? Well, as they say, that's a long story. The important point is, when Doyle starts chatting up fellow programs across the World Wide Web, it pays to listen. You found some security footage, I asked Doyle. Not exactly, he replied. My phone screen flared to life with the tableau of glittering passengers on the blue train. But instead of enjoying their martinis, they were all staring at one another in horror, their fingers clenched around crumpled telegrams. He promised me that the role of the century a mysteriously veiled woman spat between nervous puffs on her long cigarette holder. He told me there was only one way he could get me into that audition. What else was I supposed to do? It was an accident. The gun was never meant to be loaded. How was I to know? Snarled the man in an obviously false beard as he gulped what was clearly not his first whiskey of the evening. Not what I seem to be. I have no idea what that could possibly mean, quivered a nervous spinster. If they think I don't know what secrets I'm carrying, they better think again, said the courier with the briefcase chained to his wrist. I know plenty, and I'm not afraid to name names. Only the elderly lady, knitting quietly in the corner, stayed silent. As the train gathered speed, so did the tempers in the room. Accusations flew. A shot rang out. The train slammed to a halt, and my phone screen went blank as quickly as it had flared to life. Burn, I called. When you're done with those gentlemen, you may want to take a look at this. Strangers on a Train Byrne shut his eyes and rubbed a ham across his close-cropped hair in frustration as I replayed the feed on my phone. He did that a lot when he was forced to deal with Doyle. 
Who exactly are these people supposed to be? I pointed at the ticket kiosk, where the same cast of characters mugged for the camera beneath the headline, Deadly Dinner Theater Presents. They were all there, I said. The veiled woman, the man in the false beard, the nervous spinster, and the government courier. They're the cast of The Mystery of the Blue Train, an immersive dinner theater experience. And they're your little friend's prime suspect, Byrne asked, using his nickname for Doyle. I understood his reaction. When it came to these kind of mysteries, Doyle can always point you in the right direction, but it often results in a painfully bumpy ride. If nothing else, I said, it explains the gun in the top secret papers. They must just be props that the actors left behind. So who loads a prop gun with live ammunition? Byrne began to ask and object. No, scratch that. Any idiot can. But that still doesn't answer the question of who actually fired it. Or are you going with the theory that it was the train itself? Outraged at its makeover, the fun rail rose to kill the developer who stole its soul, then framed the actors for the crime? Don't say that out loud, even in jest, I warned. Morgansburg suffers enough village legends as it is. You do not want to start any fresh rumors about homicidal trains partnering with ghostly militia, militia other Morgansburg irregulars to defend our village from a threat even more deadly than the Redcoats. As ghosts go, it's not much worse than a ghost in a machine, Burns said, with a baleful glance at my phone. Doyle's voice crackled from my phone speaker. I will ignore the good inspector's heavy-handed sarcasm and phrase my lady friend's past message in plain English for the groundlings. The news of Mr. Stiles' demise has just reached the actors of the Deadly Dinner Theater, and my friend strongly suggests that the good inspector hur hurry over to Cabot's Candy Lodge to question them before they pack up and head down to the city on the next Metro North train, which is departing in less than an hour. Cabot's Candy Lodge was once a factory with huge plate glass windows where children could watch saltwater taffy being pulled before they dragged their parents inside to lighten their wallets with rides on the indoor carousel and irretrievably damaging their children's insulin levels. Like the fun rail, Cabot's Candy has existed for years in a half-life between operational and closed, breathing periodic gouts of sweet smoke like a patient on a ventilator. Like the fun rail, too, it had now been gentrified into a destination location. The bright pink exterior had been restored with a second coat of irony. The taffy machine and the carousel calliope were both operational and provided even more entertainment than the brownie martinis at Sunday's sweetest brunch. We found the actors locked in a ferocious argument with the clerk at the registration desk, which still boasted the golden cash register that had graced it when it was a candy counter. What do you mean you can't release our baggage until the bill has been paid? cried a sharp-faced woman in yoga pants. I told you that's Reggie Stiles' responsibility, not ours. The desk clerk was a college student who had long ago mastered the art of never lifting his eyes from his computer screen. Says here, Reggie Stiles is dead. Well, yes, he is, but that has nothing to do with us. I'm not so sure, muttered the ferrety-faced man who stood beside her. Wouldn't put it past the asshole to kill himself so that he could stick us with the tab. Don't be ridiculous. We are the victims here, the woman cried. Byrne loomed. At well over six foot and built like the West Point running back he had once had been, he did that a lot. In fact, I would argue it was a particular talent of his. Maybe I can be of assistance. Macburn, town justice. Now, I'm sure this is all just a simple misunderstanding, but I would like to hear what each of you know about Reggie Stiles' death. Purely routine, of course. The sharp-faced woman whirled on the desk clerk. You called the police on us? Where are we? East Germany? Now, don't go blaming poor... Byrne took a quick look at the kid's name tag. Bryce here. I'd just like to ask you a few questions about Reggie Stiles. Nothing more. You want to talk about Reggie Stiles? I'll tell you about Reggie Stiles. He's the one you should be prosecuting, not us. He's nothing but a common blackmailer. Be that as it may, ma'am, 
Reggie Stiles is dead, as you are apparently aware, Burns said. So if you have any further information... Coward that I was, I backed into the relative privacy of the taffy machine. Burn was much better at handling these sorts of situations than I was. It was only a slight exaggeration to say I had an unfortunate urge to bright people who irritated me as badly as the woman in yoga pants was doing right now. Who is she? I muttered to Doyle. Was she one of the actors on the train? A picture of the veiled lady appeared on my phone screen. Natasha Blinsky, Doyle's voice rang in my ear, please, as the veil dissolved, leaving the image of the woman who was currently haranguing Byrne. Raised by her stage mother to believe she was destined to be a prima ballerina at Bolshoi, alas, not even her rumored mastery of something known as the Nutcracker's Tourgette could make up for the La Lebinsky's lack of talent. Now she teaches bar tone at the local Pilates studio when she isn't performing with the Dudley Dinner Theater. You're damn straight I care to tell you about it, the woman hissed at Byrne. Publish and be damned. That's what I've been saying all along. It's the others who wouldn't go along. What do I care about Reggie Stiles said about me? I'm an artist. I don't need to sleep with the director for a crappy job like this. But the others wouldn't go along. Said they needed to deny everything. And so she fired the fatal shot instead, Doyle mused. Publish and perish, so to speak? As if that isn't the biggest lie of them all, a man with the twitches and sniffles of a chronic cocaine user snorted. I'm not the only one who heard the rumors Reggie Stiles was about to ditch you. You're not getting any younger, sweetheart. You better up your game while you still can. <gasps> you are one to talk, she snapped. It's not like we haven't all heard your ankle monitor go off a dozen times at night. We don't need any poison pen letters to know what you're all about. And exactly which passenger is that, I asked Doyle. Our friend the courier, who is not afraid to name names, Doyle told me, otherwise known as Marty Fry. Part-time actor, full-time pulpisher to the stars, at least until he got caught. I told you to take the high road and simply ignore them, cried the nervous spinster, who is in fact a slender youth in Wellingtons and an oiled Berber coat, who introduced themselves as Spencer Folks. So what if I poured my latte into a Pomeranian's feet at the obedience trials? Everyone knew that drugs were the only way that that creature could keep up with the border collies. I just made it simple for the stewards to discover the truth. Easy for you to say, said the ferdy-faced man. You're not the one being sued for damages, and wrongly so. My lawyers swear they had no case, but what does that matter? They're not the suspects. We're the victims here. And this is, I murmured to Doyle. The last passenger appeared on my phone, only to have his false beard whisked away to reveal a painfully weak chin and a nose that looked like it should be twitching with whiskers. Jeb Comey, Doyle said, answering my questions, NRA diehard and disgraced Hollywood armorer. In other words, I said, the only passenger with expertise to have rigged a fatal pistol? Quite possibly, Doyle allowed, although I very much doubt that that fact alone would be enough to convince a jury, especially since you have offered no theories about how it was actually done. Victims of what, exactly? Byrne asked Comey. Ms. Blinsky just called Reggie Stiles a blackmailer. Will you all receiving threatening letters from him? Honestly, folks giggled. Letters are so entirely 20th century. They were anonymous text messages. Hardly anonymous, the courier, Marty Fry sighed. We all knew Reggie Stiles had to be behind it. You knew, Byrne repeated. Well, honestly, Fry said, who else could it be? They all had motive, Doyle's voice cracked in my earpiece. I trust you see as clearly as I do that this allows for only one obvious solution to the mystery of the blue train, which, I would submit, should be immediately retitled Murder on the Orient Express. The Lady Vanishes They all did it, Burns sighed as I recapped Doyle's theory on the drive back from Cabot's candy. And then what? 
they all put their caps of invisibility on and jumped off the train together? Besides, Style had no motive to blackmail them. He was the one organizing the mystery train ride. Why would he threaten the actors he just hired? But, I mean, who else would be threatening the actors? Unless, I said in sudden inspiration, Doyle, can you run the first scene you showed us again? My screen filled with the by now familiar scene in the railway carriage. There, I said, laying my finger on the elderly lady knitting quietly in the corner. We're missing one suspect. What happened to her? If she isn't a member of the cast, then who was she and what was she doing there? Ah, my good Watson, Doyle purred as the scene faded. Once more you lay your oh-so-pedestrian finger on the heart of the matter. And with one of those unexpected flashes of insight with which you do so often surprise us. As much as I appreciate the compliment, I said, I'd be even more grateful if you could tell me who that lady is. Miss Penelope Lacey, Doyle replied, until recently the beloved proprietress of Mrs. Claus's tea shop. Your little friend has facial recognition capabilities now, Byrne asked, sounding impressed. Who needs to waste time processing power on that when the entire social media universe is happy to crowdsource the effort for you? Doyle went on. Miss Lacey is a bit of a celebrity on the Morgansburg Memories Facebook page, not to mention the entire subreddit devoted to her cookie recipes. Burns' phone blipped with an alert, and she just called campus security to report a break-in at the station bar and tasting room formerly known as Mrs. Claus's Tea Shop. You and your little friend up for a ride-along? By the time we returned to the Fun Rail Depot, there was no sign of the troopers beyond the yellow crime scene tape that fluttered uselessly along the front door of the station bar, which stood wide open. That you in there, Miss Lacey? Byrne called. Mr. Byrne! Thank heavens! Miss Lacey beckoned us inside with one hand. In her other, she brandished a garter embellished with red satin hearts. I didn't know who else to call. The state trooper simply refused to listen to me. I wish to report a theft. Byrne's eyes stayed on the glittering hearts. Is that a garter, ma'am? Of course it's a garter, she said. Our love engine garter, one of our most popular items. I can't tell you how many happy couples have reserved a special place for one in their memory books. Byrne nodded. I'll take your word for it. So you called me because someone stole one of your garters? One of them, she cried. Some miscreant made made off with an entire box. I can only think they hope to make a tidy profit on eBay. Or rid the Catskill fun ride, fun rail to commit an impossible murder? I could see my unspoken thought mirrored on Byrne's face. But how was a garter supposed to do that? Slingshot the gun into the carriage, then fire it? That seemed more unlikely than Stiles finding a way to commit suicide. Well, ma'am, I may have a lead on what happened to your missing garters, Byrne said. But before we talk about that, would you mind if I take a look at the scene of the crime? I should hope you would. That miscreant destroyed my entire take-home-a-memory photo booth. And you have my word it is completely beyond repair. Come see. Inside the station, the tasting bar was only partially renovated. The tea counter and pastry case had been replaced by a wine cooler behind a sleek chrome counter, and a rack of craft beer bottles was arrayed beneath. But little progress had been made beyond that. The souvenir station remained as it always had been, offering an assortment of picture postcards, ancient suites, and plush animals. The same could not be said for the photo booth that was used to stand behind it, urging riders to take home a memory by posing on a plywood replica of the fun rail, wearing one of the costumes that now sprawled cattywampus across the floor. There was what I assumed was meant to be a Hastings uniform with a jack-o'-lantern rolling behind it. Next to it flopped a Christmas elf with a brightly rouged cheeks and a frightening smile. I assumed that the two-man horse suit liberally sparkled with glitter went with the unicorn sporting a broken horn. Byrne crouched and sorted through the threadbare zip-up suits until he uncovered a fuzzy white onesie with big pink paws. You have any idea what this is, ma'am? He asked. Well, it's the Easter Bunny, Miss Lacey cried. What happened to his head? 
I'm afraid I have bad news, ma'am, Burns said, straightening. The bunny's head was the victim of the same gunshot that killed Reggie Stiles. He kidnapped it? Had that man no shame? Why, Judge Jeremiah Morgan played the bunny for years. A decorated war hero, I'll have you know. And even with the wooden leg, he still knew how to hop. She paused, apparently immersed in the memory of Jeremiah Morgan's hopping, before she went on. Then again, Morgansburg does have a way of taking care of itself. The kidnapper foiled, hoist on his own petard. I trust you can convince the state officers that justice has been served and there is no need for further in investigation. Well now, ma'am, you know bureaucracies, Byrne hedged. We will, of course, observe a decent period of mourning before the fun rail reopens, Miss Lacey assured him. I won't let it be said that we in Morgansburg aren't as gracious in victory as we are in defeat. As if any of our upstanding citizens have ever admitted defeat in their spirited defense of their town against the encroaching modern world. Miss Lacey's gaze darkened as she studied the wine cooler. They cast aside my elderberry wine to make room for that monstrosity, and that's easily set to right. She smiled rakishly. Then again, my poor vintage has been treated shamefully. It might make sense to have a wee taste just to make sure it's still good. Would you care to join me? I'm told the recipe has garnered over 50,000 followers on Instagram. I paled, unable to think of anything but arsenic and old lace. Burn was made of sterner stuff, though. Much as I regret it, I'm afraid I'm on duty, ma'am. I'll have to take a rain check and let you go on with your cleanup. But before I go, I wonder if you could help me clear up a few loose ends on another matter. Got a nasty case of poison pen letters over at those dinner theater actors. Just wondering if you have any suspicions who might be behind it. Miss Lacey's smile grew sly. Well now, someone wouldn't be writing them poison pen letters if they didn't have something poisonous to hide. Actors. I knew they were never quite the right thing. Small wonder someone didn't wish to see a quiet word of warning that Morgansburg is watching. You see now, ma'am, you've laid your finger right on the heart of the matter, just like I expect a woman of your precipity to do, Burns said. The actors all think Reggie Stiles was the one sending the letters, but that makes no sense to me. And why would he want to warn off his own cast? Seems more likely, wouldn't you say, that it was someone else, somebody who wanted to derail the blue train. Strike me as possible that maybe even he got one of those letters too. Well, I'm sure I'm not one to open other people's mailboxes. It's a federal offense, you know. Just ask young Frankie Morgan, who got caught stealing those naughty Victoria's Secret catalogs from his neighbor's mailbox. Not that his neighbor, a respectable widower for years, could offer any better explanation of why he was receiving them in the first place. But to return to the matter of Reggie Stiles, I could tell you that my second cousin Letitia, who still handles everyone's bookkeeping here in Morgansburg, might have raised an eyebrow over the size of the insurance policy he took out when he bought the fun rail. She might even have bought the amount she might even have brought the amount to the attention of the local savings alone, which underwrote the equally sizable mortgage that allowed him to shamelessly outbid everyone else. Now, if Letitia was right, and she usually was, she's always the brains of the family. If Letitia was right, I wouldn't put it beyond a community-minded person to have a quiet cup of tea with Mr. Stiles and suggest that he might want to reconsider his ownership of the fun rail before anyone raised the uncomfortable issue of insurance fraud. So unpleasant for everyone all around, and really quite avoidable, if only he hadn't been so stubborn. I suppose matters could have been worse. At least she hadn't resorted to a quiet cup of tea poisoned with elderberry wine. But apparently Mr. Stiles was that stubborn, I'd said. So maybe someone decided to resort to more permanent measures, I asked. Miss Lacey frowned at me, and I had the unwelcome sensation that I had just won a permanent place on Mrs. Claus's very naughty list. Oh, I've heard about you, Dr. Watson. You have something to do with computers, right? I'm not sure I entirely understand anything about them, but it strikes me with that with that kind of background, you must be a very logical young lady. And any logical young lady would see that if, I repeat if, 
I was in the position to threaten either young Siles or some tiresome actors, I would have no motive to kill any of them. She's got a point, Doyle murmured. Although I am not so much of a hypocrite as to pretend that his death has streamlined reopening the fun rail considerably. In fact, I've already assembled quite a to-do list. She opened an open ledger that was labeled Santa's book and pointedly picked up a ballpoint pen that was decorated with a spangled quill. So if you will excuse me, there is nothing else I can tell you except that if I were looking for whoever killed Reggie Stiles, I'd look among his, quote, business connections. A thoroughly unsuitable lot in every way. Not the right kind of people at all. But as I always have said, Morgansburg has a way of taking care of its own. Dead Man Switch. As soon as we stepped out of the station bar, my phone erupted with furious alert. I shook my head as I glanced at the screen. On top of everything else, I think our rabbit friend is back. I said, no way, Byrne answered. I know I closed that window. Well, do you have another explanation for this? I held up my phone so he could see the repeated message. System failure, abort, retry, ignore. Something must trigger that reboot that didn't show up in the diagnostic this morning, Byrne said. Maybe some kind of automatic batch script? Oh, Lord. I hate it when Byrne was right almost as much as I hated it when Doyle was. It's the weekly backup. The disk drive is hardwired through an Ethernet cable, so it was offline when Doyle ran the diagnostic. A loose cable is a hardware problem, Doyle protested. Doyle's eyes stayed on the repeated message. I'm sorry, Byrne's eyes stayed on the repeated message. But if the Ethernet connection is shot, how is it sending out the system failure notification? I installed a handbrake to verify connectivity before the backup begins, I told him. If the handshake fails, the sending machine issues the alert. It's just a fail-safe. Or, as a railman would have it, Doyle said, a dead man switch. Byrne's eyes narrowed. Is your little friend trying to make a point? A dead man switch is a fail-safe designed to prevent a runaway train in case the driver drops dead. It's a lever that the engineer has to hold in place manually. If he lets go for any reason, the lever releases and automatically breaks the train. Doyle's voice dropped portentously. Significant, would you not say? Recall the events of this morning as you described them yourself. A shot rang out. The train slammed to a halt. Your little friend saying that someone activated the dead man switch by shooting Reggie Stiles? Byrne shook his head. Leaving all the other issues aside, doesn't killing a man to stop a runaway train seem a little bit extreme? Even more to the point, I said, that isn't what happened. Doyle's wrong. He claimed the shot rang out and then the train slammed to a halt. But it's not true. The train slammed to a halt and then the shot rang out. I am absolutely certain of it and that is the key to what really happened. Welcome to our deliberation. deliberation time? Yay. All right. I got no clue, man. I, I swear to you, I, I am as gone as the wind. I, I love this story. It read so easily, so fun. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, strategically positioned as we are entering the Easter season so that uh, everybody can enjoy a little Easter bunny murder with their, well, I guess, it, you know, before you eat the ears and head off the chocolate bunnies. Uh-huh. It's definitely Easter when we're recording this. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely not December 21st. <laughs> you ratted us out. So Erica has given us a hopped up locker room, locked room mystery to solve. Here are the suspects that Watson, Byrne, and Doyle have to work with. You ready? Yes. Natasha Blinsky, the little dancer who couldn't. Okay. She was the mean lady. Got it, got it. Marty Fry, the cokehead acting as the courier. His prop attache case was found at the scene. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Spencer Folks, the struggling actor who is still struggling. <laughs> Jeb Comey, our gun-loving actor whose prop was located with live rounds. All right. And Miss Lacey, the upright citizen and proprietress of the shop from which the garters came. All right. Okay. 
Let's go for clues. Go for clues. Reggie was found in an empty train car, alone and dead, beneath a rabbit head. All right. The train was observed by Watson and Byrne. No one entered or left the train. All righty. The train moved forward, suddenly stopped, and then came the gunshot. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. A box of broken garters from Mrs. Miss Lacey's shop was found strewn all around the engineer's cab. Uh-huh, uh-huh. An old-style pistol used as a prop gun had been loaded with the live rounds. All right. All of the actors were being blackmailed, and all believed that the dead man was behind it. Interesting. Miss Lacey suspects the dead man was using the fun rail to commit insurance fraud. <laughs> so... How did Reggie Styles die? I someone rigged the the gun with the garters, right? Is that the is that the theory? Oh, is that your theory? I don't know. They wait, they found him with garters, right? The garters were found in the cab of the engine. So in that door there was a closed door and then Reggie was found like where the passengers would be. Okay. And the gun was with him in an attache case. So the garters were in the engine, and Reggie, the gun, and the attache case were in the passenger part. Why the heck would he have garters? Why? I don't understand this. <laughs> I don't think I was paying enough attention. Here's the thing. I got really into one of the core progressions, <laughs> and I missed some important stuff here, man. I, I feel like I got nothing. Okay, did you... So the title of this is Dead Man Switch. Did you under do you understand what a dead man yes. switch is? I, I get I get what happened. Okay. So the train started up, uh-huh. It moved. Uh-huh. It suddenly stopped. I know I know how it happened. I and don't then, at all get how it happened. Okay. Though, you know? But you don't know how Reggie Styles died. Not I mean I not no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Just Thank you, Erica. You stumped Jack. <laughs> Apparently, it's not that hard to do, but still. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, Everybody, put your guesses in the comments. Hold on. I, I, I know I'm going to read you the solution, but still, I'd love to know uh, how you think Reggie Styles died. I, I still get my guess. You still get your it guess. It wasn't wasn't the old lady, and it wasn't the guy who owned the gun. I feel like those two are too obvious. I'm going to go with the. Who was the first lady you said who just sucks? Natasha Blinsky. Natasha Blinsky. Is Natasha a name that we've used in the past? I don't think so. No? I don't know. Maybe in past seasons, not this season. Sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. All right. I'm going to go with Blinsky. But you still don't know how he died? Not even a little bit. I I know I I should know probably at this point. (laughs) I know if I... (laughs) If I reread it, I might figure it out, but no, at this point, I got no clue. Okay, well, let's go into the story of the Lost Special. Byrne shut his eyes. In other words, Miss Lacey was right, and the fun rail really did murder Reggie Stiles? There's only one way to answer your question. I swiped the alert off my screen. This can keep. Right now, you and I need to check out the engineer's cab and look for that dead man switch. The door to the engineer's cab was still jammed shut, and nothing had been touched inside. Broken garters still littered the engineer's bench. Glitter and red hearts spilled everywhere, and a daisy chain of even more garters hung from the wooden paddle next to the throttle. Byrne shook his head as he studied the mess. If nothing else, I'm assume this means we can at least rule out the town fathers as suspects. Don't make that assumption. Morgansburg has always prided itself on its open-mindedness. Byrne snorted. In any case, I'll have you know that the original Morgansburg men wore garters too, I informed him. Although they were customarily knitted or made of leather, elastic didn't come around until 1820 when Thomas Hancock patented his product for use in gloves, suspenders, shoes, and stockings. Byrne raised an eyebrow. I have to say, I never took you for an expert on that kind of thing. Clean up your mind, I sighed. The point is, old garters can be dangerous. Right, you're speaking from first-hand experience, Byrne asked. I flushed under his incredulous stare. Annie Morgan's wedding reception 
1973, I said with dignity. It's right there in the annals of Morgansburg Historical Society. She wore the original garters from Sofrancia, Morgan's trousseau. Some said they were even a wedding gift from Hancock himself. For a century and a half, those garters had held the stockings of the Morgan family brides. But this time, the, the century-old elastic had breathed its last life. A garter snapped. One of the Presbyterian church elders was nearly blinded in one eye. The poor minister had to take early retirement, and they still speak of it in whispers at the annual reenactment of the Battle of Morgansburg. I picked up the remnants of the chain of garters and traced it back to where it was knotted around the wooden paddle. I'm guessing this is the dead man switch and that someone used these garters to rig it. I'm not sure why they choose to use garters unless it was to point the finger at Miss Lacey. Whatever the case, it was a really bad decision. These things are at least a quarter century old and the 20th century elastic does not come from the stern constitution of a colonial Fairboroughs. Pern moved the paddle back and forth. Somebody rigged the dead man switch so it couldn't do its job and prevent a crash. They just didn't count on the elastic giving away. He glanced at me, a glint of humor in his eyes. Are you gonna call me sexist if I say it's, it's likely a mistake a man would make? Never pays to assume, I said, but I'm pretty sure in this case you're right. In fact, I'm fairly certain that man was Reggie Stiles. He intentionally sabotaged his own railway? Why? Byrne shook his head as he answered his own question. Miss Lacey wasn't lying, even though she wasn't admitting to the entire truth. Her cousin did discover evidence that Reggie Stiles intended to use the fun rail to commit insurance fraud, and Miss Lacey threatened him with it. But instead of giving in to her demand that he return the fun rail to its original state, he was going to wreck it, take the insurance money, and run. He's the one who rigged the garters so that the dead man switch didn't prevent a crash. Tying the garters to the switch jammed the door to the cab, I said, so he couldn't just jump off the train from there. Instead, he had to go out through the carriage, I said, which is where he was loading the gun in order to further muddy the waters by incriminating Jeff Comey, who already had a history of being careless with prop guns, when he was doing that, the garters on the dead man switch gave away. The train slammed to a halt, Burn said, and the impact set the gun flying. Just Styles' bad luck that the gun went off when it hit the ground. Could a gun really go off like that, I asked? La Forza del Destino, Act 1, Doyle pointed out hopefully. Alvaro throws down his gun to remove any question of... Leonora's purity, only to have it go off and mortally wound her father. La Forza del Destino is an opera, I told him. You know, that kind of story where careless, vengeful gypsies throw the baby, the wrong baby on the bonfire. When it comes to loaded guns, you can't predict anything, Burns said, cutting off our squabbling. That's why you shouldn't leave them lying around if you must have one in the first place. It could have happened that way. But I still don't understand is why the Easter Bunny had. The alarm at the college, I said. It set off the volunteer fire department siren as well. Reggie couldn't be sure that they wouldn't investigate the train if they saw it moving, but he knew he wouldn't get a second chance. So he pulled on the head as a quick disguise to finish up. Death by misadventure, Burns said. I took a very long look at the dead man switch fancying that it was studiously avoiding my gaze. I think the popular verdict is bound to be that the fun rail fired the gun in self-defense. The end. Self-defense. I love that. <laughs> so much about the story was just, like, amazing. Wasn't it? I loved the rabbit at the beginning because I live with one. <laughs> you great. do. And her name's Dolly. Her name's Dolly after... Uh, Miss Parton. Ms. I just love this story from the first time Erica sent it to me. I just laughed from one end to the other. Nah, I that was pretty great. <laughs> I feel so dumb because I was like, everyone thinks it's him. How could it be him? He's dead. It, it was him. They were right. They were all right. Every single person was correct. 
it was Death by Misadventure. He had this brilliant idea. I still don't quite know how he was going to get off the train. I think he was just going to hop off, and that would have been something for um, Byrne and Watson to see if they were standing there and this man in a rabbit head just jumps off a train right before it crashes. That would have been an interesting story, too. Interesting. (laughs) But if anybody had gotten hurt, that wouldn't only be insurance money that he'd gotten. Also, they knew he was on the train. Well, they didn't know he was on the train. Oh, they didn't? But it would have been interesting if it had gone because they would have found the garters when they investigated. And someone would have seen it. I guess with him loading the gun, he was trying to imply that the other actor, Jeb Comey, was on the train. So that so that Reggie Styles was trying oh, to he was framing the other guy. He was, he was trying frame, to frame, frame somebody else. Okay. I mean, yeah, I got that. But yeah, no, I mean that was <laughs> such a convoluted that's awesome. So Erica does have the first full-length story of Watson and Doyle is out. I have it. I haven't gotten it read yet, but it is on the top of my list. I just have, I think, two more books to read first. So Erica is the... Let me read all the words I have written here. Erica Obi is the author of The Brooklyn North Murder, the first full-length Watson and Doyle mystery, as well as five other novels set in the Hudson Valley, including the award-winning The Curse of the Braddock Brides. Erica is the past president of the MWANY chapter, Mystery Writers of America, New York chapter, and a frequent reviewer and judge. She holds a PhD in comparative literature and published academic works on female folklorist before she decided she'd rather be writing stories herself. Please go visit Erica at www.ericaobey.com where she blogs about life in the Hudson Valley now and then. Well, that wraps up this amazing episode of Mysteries to Die For. Please do support our show by subscribing, telling Mystery Lover about us, and giving us a five-star review. Check out our website, tgwolf.com forward slash podcast, for links to this season's authors and their stories. Mysteries to Die For is hosted by T.G. Wolf and Jack Wolf. Dead Man Switch was written by Erica Obi. Music and production are by Jack Wolf. Episode art is by T.G. Wolf. And a special thanks to our dogs who actually did not make a single peep during the recording of this podcast. Jack's going to take us out in a major scale instead of a minor scale. <laughs> <laughs>